God's Word and think about what it means for us in our lives together. Um, We're in a series right now um, in a group of psalms in the Old Testament that help us to draw near to God. Um, They're called Psalms. Great time in children's church today. All right, we are in a series right now. We're calling it Drawing Near. We're looking at a subgroup of psalms called Psalms of Ascent. These were um, psalms that were sung and prayed by God's people in the Old Testament as they journeyed to Jerusalem to worship God. Uh, As they sung and they prayed them, they would prepare God's people to draw near to God. And we've said each week that they function in the same way for us. These psalms of ascent, they help us to draw near to God. And we're looking at Psalm 130 this afternoon, which you can find in a Bible if you have one, uh, on a phone that has a Bible, or in your bulletin. The text is printed there. And as you're turning there, I wonder, um, is it difficult for you to wait? Or maybe a better question would be, how difficult is it for you to wait? Um, I was thinking about waiting and uh, thought back to middle school. I had just gotten into snowboarding, and this was quite a while ago, um, to where, uh, you know, you could, like, order stuff online. E-commerce was a thing, but it was, like, barely a thing. And so I ordered a new pair of snowboarding boots on the Internet, and it was like some giant mystery as to when they would arrive. It was multiple weeks at this point in the life of the Internet. And it was like, as a middle schooler who, like, thought snowboarding was the coolest thing ever, waiting for snowboarding boots to come was excruciating. And so I printed uh, off this, you know, terrible quality picture of these snowboarding boots off our printer, and I pinned it up on the corkboard of my middle school room, and I just stared at it, stared at this picture of these snowboarding boots, waiting for these things to arrive. But waiting was so, so difficult. Uh, Think about your life right now. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for and how's that going? Um, It might be something kind of small and random. Maybe you ordered something off of Amazon 30 minutes ago and you're just like waiting for that thing to get here because it's going to meet an immediate need for you. And so you're waiting for your Amazon delivery. Uh, Maybe you're waiting to hear back on a job opportunity. And that feels weighty to you. It could be a game changer for your career or for your family or your kids. And so you're just kind of like waiting to hear back about this job. Uh, Maybe you're waiting to hear back on a medical procedure. And and the results um, could send you one of two different directions. Uh, Maybe you're waiting on on a a friendship to be restored or to be renewed. It it doesn't feel right and you're just waiting and praying and trusting and trying to like think through the way forward. Um, Wherever you are and whatever you're waiting for, how is that waiting going? Because that's what this psalm is about. Psalm 130 is a psalm about waiting. I'm going to read it for us. Again, it's in your bulletin. Psalm 130, I'll read the whole thing. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel 
from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do come before you with grateful hearts for your word. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for promising to be at work uh, in your word, in our lives, by your Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Father, that you would do that now. Uh, We open ourselves up to you. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two headings this afternoon as we look at this psalm. I want to talk about waiting and hoping. Waiting and hoping. First heading this afternoon, waiting. What was the psalmist waiting for in this psalm? Um, He's clearly waiting. He says that explicitly, but waiting for what? All right, before we answer that, let's just draw out some observations uh, about uh, how the psalmist is doing. What is his waiting like? Look at the psalm, verse 1. The first thing we notice about his waiting is that he's suffering. Verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. So he's in the depths. Uh, This word depths is used in other places in the Bible in reference to being in deep waters. It's that feeling like you're sinking, totally overwhelmed by something, um, not in control of a situation. Uh, you're, you're experiencing something that you cannot fix. It's a hard circumstance you can't control. Uh, you're familiar with the phrase like trying to keep your head above water, right? That feels similar where you just have so much going on, so much coming at you. You're just fighting to stay afloat. We don't get the specifics from the psalm, but we know he's waiting for some acute suffering to be over. And he's coming to the end of his rope. And I, even just saying that, I wonder if that resonates with where you're at right now. Waiting for some acute suffering to be over and feeling like you're at the end of your rope. That's where the psalmist is. The next thing we see is that he's desperate. Look at verse 2. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So he's begging for God's attention, begging for response. Hear me. See me. Acknowledge how hard this is. Uh, Let me know that you're with me and that you're going to do something about this. Um, Some of the language in verse 2, on a much smaller scale, it makes me think about my own children. I won't name names, but let's give a hypothetical scenario of their tablet uh, almost ready to die. And they don't know where the charger is for the tablet. And they're in another room and they yell for mom and dad. And you would think there is like a major emergency happening in the Davis household. And so we rush. What is it? What is it? Do you know where the charger is for this? The psalmist is suffering. He is crying out, insisting to his father, please hear me. Help me. So he's suffering. He's desperate. The third thing we see is that he's aware of his condition. Look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? All right, so this is where we get somewhat of an answer to this question of what is he waiting on. This is where we get a little bit of clarity. Um, It appears to be the thing that is troubling the psalmist is this guilt of his sin. Whether it's one specific sin or just feeling overwhelmed with his sinful past or patterns or nature, um, we don't know for sure But part of his cry to God, he's acknowledging that, hey God, if you kept record of our sins, not only could we not cry out to you, but we certainly couldn't stand before you. And so he's acknowledging 
his condition before God. And this is a really important window into what the Bible says about our deepest problem. And it traces all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Three chapters in, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobey God. For the first time, they send themselves and all of humanity plunging into rebellion. Broken relationship with God. Broken relationship with each other. Broken relationship with themselves. Broken relationship with the world around them. Just fracture everywhere. Genesis 3, all the bad stuff comes into the story. That's where we lost our ability to stand before God because of our sin. And that's what the psalmist is saying. It's true for him. It's true for us. If God marked my iniquities, I could not stand before him. One writer says about the psalmist here that he is waiting, the thing he's waiting on is a word of forgiveness. He's suffering, he's desperate, he's waiting for a word of forgiveness. That's his dilemma. It's almost like as we go through our worship service, we do the confession of sin and then we just stop. Not knowing how God might respond. Not doing that assurance of grace that we always do. And maybe that's where you are this afternoon. Just living with nagging guilt. Do you ever feel like you've committed some unforgivable sin? Or maybe even like cognitively you know Like, well, yeah, like I know like categorically or whatever, it's forgiven. Yeah, like if someone came to me and asked me about that sin, I would tell them they're forgiven by Jesus. I know all that, but yet um, it feels like I put on like guilty clothes every day. Or I just feel this weight on my shoulders of just guilt and I cannot shake it at all. Cognitively, I know I'm forgiven, but it does not feel that way. Um... Maybe that's where you are. I'll never forget, and I've shared this before, hearing an older pastor share with me. Um, He said, every time my phone rings, um, I'm convinced that someone is calling to tell me something that I did wrong. And when he said that, I was like, oh, that. That's how I feel. So just text, don't call. (laughs) But maybe that's where you are. That's where the psalmist is. He's naming something that we all feel, especially if the Holy Spirit lets us begin to feel the weight of our sin. It's this fact that we cannot stand before God because of our sinful nature. And he's suffering and he's desperate and he's waiting for this word of forgiveness, for relief from guilt. And it's so hard to wait. Why is it hard to wait? There's some amazing stories of waiting in the Bible. It's, so, it's such a part of the Christian experience. It's such a part of life in general. Genesis 21, Abraham and Sarah waited until Abraham was 100 years old to have their son Isaac that God had promised to them. Decades and decades of waiting after God had made the promise. Can you imagine waiting decades and decades and decades for anything? Genesis 29, Jacob waited 14 years to marry Rachel. 14-year engagement. Um... Waiting can feel especially tough um, in our culture of like instant everything. uh, Some people call our culture right now a culture of immediacy. And there's like, there there are like businesses like strategizing customer experiences because we live in a culture of immediacy. How can we engage that for customer service and returns and things like that? We're like, if it's not instant, then we're like, we're not happy with it. Um, Think about, again, like to use like the image of like Amazon delivery where we thought two days was amazing 
And then suddenly, you know, it's like they're moving towards same day delivery. And then if you have to wait past like 5 p.m., you have, if you have to wait till the 9 o'clock delivery for Amazon, you're like, come on. Like, what? Is there, did someone not show up for work today? What's happening? Or think about this. Swim season just wrapped up. Red division, white division, all the divisions. Go Gower. Um, think about the feeling if you've ever swam before or even just watched it where a swimmer steps up on the blocks and the, the, those starting blocks are slightly tilted forward into the pool to give you a good trajectory to jump out in the pool. And they stand there and they have their body weight hanging forward and they're just hanging there holding on to the blocks waiting for that starter to sound the signal so they can go. And if you've ever been in that position, you're just trying not to fall forward. Lean forward as much as possible with as much momentum just waiting to get a good start. And that's a really hard spot to be in. To be waiting for the thing, but not yet there. We don't like waiting. Why is it so tough? Why is it so tough? It depends on what we're waiting for. Um, If we are waiting for relief from a season of suffering, like the psalmist appears to be experiencing, um, waiting is difficult because we were not made to suffer. That's not what God intended. All suffering in our lives is a result of sin in our world. Everything is fractured. So there's actually something very true and very right about being honest about how hard it is to wait in suffering because that's not what God intended for us. There's a a holy discontentment in waiting in our suffering. But our sin, I mean, it's more complex. Our sin even shapes how we wait or don't wait. Sin leads us to try to control everything which is God's job, not ours. But that's what our sin does. It causes us to try and function in God's roles rather than yield those responsibilities to Him. So waiting becomes difficult because we are forced to reckon with the fact that we are not in control. We cannot make anything happen. So we wait. We have to cede control to God. And that's really tough. One small, super real-life example of that for us as a church family is waiting on morning worship space or waiting on what will be our permanent home, not knowing um, where we will be physically uh, as a gathered church for the long haul. That's a big question, where we can't just immediately network our way out of it or just make something happen. Feeling this tension of God, you have us here at this time for a reason, and we long for that next thing, and waiting. What are you waiting for right now? And what's the state of your heart as you're waiting? Thankfully, as we read the psalm, it doesn't stop there. This is where the Bible is amazing. It gives us both um, unmatched realism by naming the suffering that we face in this life and the difficulty of waiting. The Bible names that head on. And the Bible gives us unmatched reason for hope. There's no other belief framework out there that can honestly name the hard realities for what they are and real hope for what what, what is offered in the Bible. So let's talk about the second heading. Let's talk about hoping. What was a psalmist hoping in? Well, look at the passage. Look at verse 5. He tells us explicitly in verse 5, he's hoping in God's word. Which we don't want to gloss over that too quickly. Again, I would think most of us here would, would be quick to cognitively agree that we should hope in God's word. And, and we may even say, you know, that's where my hope is. That's what I hope in. But sometimes our lives tell another story. Um, rather than, than hoping in God's word, we put our hope in earthly short-term goals and, and accomplishments and milestones in life. Um, how do you fill in the blank in your life right now? Things will be okay when? Things will be okay when? When we reach our financial goals. 
when we buy a house for the first time, when we renovate a house, uh, when, we, when I finish grad school and finally get to start working the career I've been training for forever, um, things will be okay when we have a kid or our kid gets out of diapers or our kid gets into school or our kid gets out of school or our kid moves out the house. Um, when we finally retire, what's the thing uh, that where you feel like things are going to be okay when? Are you hoping in that thing. And those are great things. Those are great milestones. But none of those things, as you know, can absorb all of our hope. And you've, all, you've felt that before. You reach one milestone and it's not enough. Maybe, you, maybe it's, you know, getting into a house or whatever. You get a house, you're like, this is great. And then, like, the AC goes out. Or, you know, you don't have enough room. Or you, you need to move to a different location. Or you get one job and then that's great. But then you, you want a promotion. It's just never enough. So you lock into another. Verse 5. God's word gives us something worthy of our hope, something lasting, something that really does satisfy. And we get a little more clarity of what the psalmist is hoping in. Look back up at verse 4. He says, but you, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Again, if he is waiting for this word of forgiveness, he's reminding, oh yeah, this is who God is. He's the one who forgives. Look down at verse 7. With the Lord there is steadfast love. So he's hoping in the fact that God loves us with a steadfast love. Look at the second half of verse 7. Into verse 8. With him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So he's remembering God is the redeemer. His redemption is plentiful now. He will redeem all Israel from all iniquities. What is he doing? He's not just hoping in God's word. He's hoping in God's character. His mercy and forgiveness, his steadfast love, his redemption, and his character. Who God is, what he does for his people because of who he is. To orient, to, you, orient you to where we are in this psalm, this was written when Jesus had not yet come yet. Jesus had been promised, but he had not arrived yet. So God's people in the Old Testament, they looked to this future promise of the rescuer Jesus who was to come to save them from their sin. And you may be aware of that. You may know that. That may be new to you. But it's really incredible to see the hope of this psalm of a future redeemer that seems so sure. Where he is banking on it already. Where it's only been communicated through promises at this point. And where are we? We're of the vantage point of being able to look back on the person and work of Jesus. We have the four Gospels, the New Testament, to unpack what it's like to live as a believer in all of church history. Unpacking and giving this greater and greater clarity to us. So we know Jesus, his character, how he lived, what he taught, his work on the cross, and the redemption that he accomplished for us. Now that is something that we can really hope in. Something that we can sink our teeth into. These milestones in life, these short-term goals, they're great. They come and they go. And you're just on to the next one. Talk to someone who's 10 years down the road from you. God's word, his character, his actions, um, most pointedly what what we see in Jesus This is a guaranteed safe place for our hope. Uh, Many of the 150 Psalms, they take take you on like a little miniature journey. And if you've spent some time reading the Psalms, then then maybe you've you've noticed this. There's often this like presenting issue or a problem when you start a Psalm. There's often a complaint. The the writer of the Psalm cries out to God about something. And maybe he talks about enemies. And he sort of unpacks the situation a little more. But inevitably, um, it turns to the truth about God and His promises... 
And then with many of the Psalms, they end with trusting in God and with peace and hope and joy. There's a journey. There's a journey in this Psalm, in Psalm 130, from suffering to despair to waiting to real hope. And God loves us so much that He gave us this Psalm to help us wait with hope. That's how this functions in our lives. God knows you are waiting right now. Whatever the thing is, He knows you're waiting, and because He loves you, He gave you the psalm to keep you afloat. I want to conclude by just sitting in that for a few moments and thinking together about how this psalm helps us to wait with hope. First thing, it invites us into honesty about the hard things. This psalm invites us into honesty about the hard things. This normalizes the experience of being in the depths. Um, I try to say this a lot from up front. Um, Life is really hard for everyone here. It's really hard for everyone here. I have a bit of a unique vantage point being in conversation with a lot of you and praying and thinking with you and journeying with you through hard things in life. And all I can say is life is hard for everyone. We're all fighting a battle. Someone said in my story group this past week, you're either heading into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. 100% true. Life is really hard, and this psalm invites us to be honest about that. Honest with God, honest with yourself, honest with other people. We want resurrection to be an honest church family. Um, And a lot of that honesty and realness comes out when we share life together, and so we try to create avenues to do that in smaller groups like Bible studies and neighborhood groups and story groups and rising leaders and different things like that where you can share real life and be honest about the hard things you have going on. And I would just say, if you're in a hard situation, if maybe you're in the storm right now and you feel alone in that, let me just like nudge you to reach out to a friend in your neighborhood group and say, hey, Jonathan gave me permission in the sermon. I just want to call you and tell you how hard this thing is right now. Will you just listen? We can be honest about hard things. There's an invitation in that psalm to do that. Secondly, it reminds us that God is being good to us even in our waiting. God is being good to us even in our waiting. This is really difficult to wrap our minds around. uh, And we can't tie it up as nicely as as we would like to. But God is really working all things together for our good. Sometimes we can be too quick to throw that at someone in the midst of suffering and it doesn't feel helpful in the moment. But at the same time, God gave us that truth through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. All things are working together for the good of those who love God. God is being good to you in your waiting. It's not easy. It doesn't necessarily resolve things. But He is a good Father to His children. And He's promised to be at work for our good. He's using your waiting to make you more beautiful in Jesus. Third thing. We hinted at this earlier of how this psalm helps us to wait with hope. It tells us the end of the story. tells us the end of the story. Verse 8 promises full redemption for God's people. And we see that in Jesus. Uh, And with the resurrection of Jesus comes the guaranteed hope of a new world. Uh, Revelation 21, we talked about the beginning of the Bible. Go to the end of the Bible. Revelation 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth where Jesus will usher in all things new when He returns. No more suffering, no more sin, no more fracture, no more idolatry. This is like the cosmic spoiler alert for the end of the story that we're able to put our hope in. Um, There was a a New York Times article about 10 years ago now about spoiler alerts. 
Uh, and this was as like the rise in streaming was happening more and more where you weren't waiting week to week for shows to be released, but like you could watch whatever episode whenever you wanted to. Spoiler alerts were in social media. Of course, spoiler alerts were all over the place. And so um, they asked the question in this article, what is really spoiled when you know the ending of a story? And they actually did some research about this. It was crazy. Researchers conducted the story um, about your viewing experience or reading experience when you know the ending or don't know the ending of the story. And what they found, it says the results show that knowing the ending of a TV show or a story does not negatively affect your viewing experience of the show. We can debate that later. One researcher said, quote, when readers know the ending, readers have knowledge of the outcome, but this knowledge does not automatically intrude on their moment-to-moment experience of the narrative. The author goes on to say that if the story is well enough written, if it's a good enough story, then no amount of revelation of the plot or the ending of that story will ruin the experience of reading it or watching it unfold. That's why we read great books over and over again or we watch great movies over and over again. The story of God redeeming His world, a story of which we're a part of by faith in Jesus, is a good story. And knowing the ending of this story does not ruin the experience of that story, but it does the opposite. It actually gives us hope to live through that story. So until the ending, until Jesus returns and makes us and all things new, like the watchman waiting for the sunrise in this psalm, we wait with hope. What does it mean to wait with hope? Go to that slide, next slide. This is a quote from Eugene Peterson. I've um, referenced him a few times. I think I've quoted him every week. This is an amazing book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. He wrote it on the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, what does it mean to wait with hope? Here's the quote right here. Hope does not mean doing nothing. It is not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations, of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. Here it is. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what He said He will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it His way and in His time. This is what it means to wait with hope. And all I'll say is that there is an invitation this afternoon to enter into this hope. To center your life around Jesus and the real hope that He offers to you. If you have questions about that, you want to hear more, let's talk afterwards. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the good news that while we do live a life of waiting this side of heaven, we are those who wait with hope. Jesus, thank You that You are the one in whom we put our hope and our faith. We look to You, Jesus, as the one who out of love came and gave Himself on our behalf. And we look to You as the one who out of love will come again to make us and all things new. Father, You alone know what we're facing this afternoon. You know our individual stories. Would You meet us, comfort us, give us faith to wait even just another day in Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.
And so we invite you now to this table. This is a meal that helps us to wait with hope. It feeds us for the journey. It feeds our hope. It locks us into Jesus a little bit more each time we partake of this food. Uh, This is a meal for those who have given themselves to Jesus, who've been baptized and who are...